Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. Conversations on New Jersey education. Uh, uh, this is a school law edition. We'll be uh, checking in with... Uh, uh, Derlis Gutierrez uh, from uh, about on the school law issues of uh, personnel issues that uh, school boards have to worry about during the pandemic. Right now, uh, she has not called in at this moment, so I am doing a little dog and pony show, and I'll give her another couple minutes to to call in, uh, and then we'll deal with that from there. So. Um, what can I talk about? Well, one of the things that, when we set it up with her, <laughs> uh, one of the things that we have set up is that uh, most people who have teacher contracts, they have not, um, you know, from two or three years ago, they, it has nothing to do with the virtual learning and all the things that occurred during the pandemic. So when you have to get back to those things and you have a lot of issues that the teacher's contract do not deal with. So that's what we'll be discussing in about one minute. And I see one person on live right now, but um, in the chat room, my friend Al Miller. Um, but I do not have my guest right now. And if she doesn't come on in uh, about one more minute, uh, I'll, I'll – oh, this might be here. Hi, Durlis. Hi, Ray. Hi. How are you? Hi, how are you? We're live. Okay, great. Hi. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to just uh, set the stage. I, I did say in the beginning, uh, well, first of all, why don't you introduce yourself and your firm and where, uh, with, you know, how long you guys have been together and uh, with districts you do. I mean, not all of them because I know you do a lot. Sure. Happy to. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Tracy. I'm Yay. Hi, Jen. I'm Tracy. Nice to meet you. Hi, Laura. I'm Tracy. How are you? I feel like I know you ladies because I've read the book. I'm sorry, Ray. I'm hearing okay, other people. I'm there. Yeah, that was someone else. All right, you can go. Okay. Ready? Okay. So my yep. name is Darlise Gutierrez, and our firm is Adams, Gutierrez, and Laddie Boudere. We're a women and minority-owned law firm. Um, our office is in Newark, and we have another office in Marlton, New Jersey. We dedicate ourselves to the representation of school districts, colleges, municipalities, and private sector employers. We've been in business now uh, 13 years. February 1st will be our 13th year, our 13th anniversary. But the three owners, Sherry Adams, Perry Lady-Boudere, and I have each uh, well over 30 years of experience in representing school districts in all areas. Uh, we are general counsel, labor negotiations counsel, and special education counsel to somewhere around 50 boards of education in New Jersey. Um, we also work as defense counsel with several insurance carriers who defend school districts, so we do a great deal of litigation at state and federal court as well as in front of administrative agencies. And um, we've dedicated our legal careers to the rep representation of school districts. 
because our mission as a firm is to help our clients provide uh, the best education for the children of New Jersey. And we feel that with training and with great legal advice, uh, we can help our districts navigate the very um, complicated legal field uh, uh, that uh, governs uh, school districts, um, federal law, state law, state regulations, and um, by helping them to focus their energies on education and keeping them in good, you know, give them good sound legal advice, uh, it'll keep them out of trouble and they can focus their resources on, on educating children. And that's who we you know, are. You, you, spoke, you spoke about uh, the difficult, uh, complicated field of education law. Uh, I think the pandemic might have made it even more complicated. Uh, and one of the things that we'll be talking about, and I mentioned this before, is uh, personnel issues. You know, most people, most districts have contracts with their employees, whether it's the teachers and other staff. But I don't think too many of those contracts really had uh, a clause in there about hybrid learning and remote learning uh, and all those assignments. So the personnel area is very uh, probably changed pretty much literally overnight. I, I do want to say one thing. If anyone has a question, they can call in. One, they need to dial one. 347-989-8904 and press number one. And Robin, who's monitoring our switchboard, will get your question, and I can put you on. Or if you're in the chat room, you can just type in a question, and I'll pass it on to uh, Derlise. Um, with most districts, their schedule, they've been going back. Some of them go back and forth between hybrid and uh, remote, completely remote. Some people have in-person instruction uh, five days a week. Uh, before they get into this and they have to make decisions, is there any advice, general advice you would give to them as they change their schedule with their staff? So, like you said, Ray, um, we went from full-time in-person instruction on a Friday afternoon, and on a Monday morning, kids were home, teachers were in school, and the following day, people were teaching remotely. So, it was literally over a weekend and overnight. Um, something that was unprecedented. And there are no collective bargaining agreements that I know of that provide for anything for that. So um, the fact that schools reopened in September, well, that they taught the children from March through June, and then that they reopened in September with new plans is a testament to the hard work that was put in um, by the Department of Ed and by all the different school districts, uh, by the teachers, by the administration, to create these plans so that kids could continue to get educated. Um, so I, I would think that the, the most important thing, since there is no provision in any collective bargaining agreement or any other kind of contract for these types of things, um, for these changes in schedules, uh, they created committees. Uh, they had teams that did a lot of planning. And the key to all of it, I think, is communication. Uh, I think that is a key ingredient in navigating employee issues normally, but especially during this pandemic. Um, it's key really at all times. Um, it's a particularly true when there's so much uncertainty in the world. We have uncertainty in jobs and schools and health. Um, everything's been so incomprehensibly different uh, since March 2020. Um, and so the way to help people navigate all of this uncertainty, which of course brings on anxiety and stress and uh, not just for the adults, but also for the kids, um, is to keep open the lines of communication. Um, 
I find that in those districts where the superintendent and the administration was able to maintain clear communication with the union leadership and with the staff, in those places they've had less um, disagreements and less concerns about the have, having to change um, to different schedules. Um, where there's communication with the parents, uh, there's less complaints also. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate situation where nobody's happy. Uh, some parents want the children in school every day. Some parents want the children in school, never, come, not, never have the children in school. Uh, some of them want something in the middle. Um, and so it, it's been very hard to, it's been hard to please everyone. It's been impossible to please everyone and just hard to please the majority of the people. But um, mm -hmm. I think as long as the decisions that are being made are in the best interest of children, if that's the top question, then everything else flows from that. Um, um, and certainly, you know, talking to the union and getting their input from as to what not making, not letting, not letting the union make the decision, but having that conversation because they're the ones that are in the schools. The teachers are the ones that are mm -hmm. in, inside the schools teaching the kids. You know, boots on the ground, and we can design everything that we want and make sure that it's all legal. But if it doesn't work, hands on then you have to readjust. And I think that that's what a lot of districts have been doing is trying things out and having to readjust as they go along the way. Especially since, you know, for a long time, we were getting different um, health information, you know. What, yes. was an amount, what was an appropriate amount of distance between two people changed, uh, whether there was a mask that was needed or not needed. That, you know, those, all that guidance just kept changing as we were learning more more and more about the virus. So we've had to, we've had to adjust and readjust for a year and, and continue to do so, so. Now, one of the things as um, issues that had developed pretty quickly is that a lot of teachers have childcare issues of their own. Uh, they may not live in the district where they're teaching. Uh, how can a, a district deal with that? I know there was the there's a family leave law, but uh, how does the, and you can talk about that, how do districts approach and what are some of the legalities about teachers having their own child care issues? So that became an issue, right, because you have teachers who didn't live, if they lived in the district that they, where they taught, then that was a problem because they're teaching on the same day that their children are, uh, they were teaching on the same day their children are in school, but if they're in person, that's okay. If it was remote, then that, was, that, that posed a problem. And when teachers have children, they live in another town, and the schedules don't align, that caused a series of problems. I know that um, I, I've spoken to a lot of teachers who had to make different uh, child care um, uh, arrangements uh, because the schedules didn't, didn't, overlap, uh, didn't, didn't work well. Uh, either they overlapped in a way that it didn't work or they were on and off on different days. Um, but uh, one of the things that was provided under the, under the Federal, Families First, Federal Families First Coronavirus Response Act was that there, was, there were leave provisions for childcare-related issues um, when schools were closed. And those were set to, those leave provisions were set to expire in December and they've been extended to March 31st. So 
staff can make themselves available of those leave provisions. Um, and, uh, and that has to be discussed with the superintendent. And then additionally, under the New Jersey Family Leave Law, uh, provided that uh, the employee hasn't taken um, leave time that's already available under the federal law, they might also be entitled to some additional leave time under the New Jersey Family Leave Act for, for school closure, for school closures and child care provisions. Um, we'll have to see if there are, now that there's a new federal administration, I don't know if there are going to be any changes to the federal law, whether there are going to be any additional extensions or anything else that's going to happen. Um, as we said, we talked to earlier, um, things change. Sometimes they change uh, overnight, and so we have to keep our eyes open um, and, and check frequently to see what, what's out there, if there are going to be any new, any new provisions or any new, um, any new assistance from the federal government. Now, one of the other issues, and I know everyone is, will be monitoring that, uh, because even in March, my, my assumption now is that you won't see people fully in school uh, in April or May, at least. Uh, but, but one of the other issues, most districts that I know kind of like surveyed their, their staff to see who had those childcare issues. But one of the other one was the, uh, what can you do with the staff member who maybe has a, them, they either have underlying conditions or they live with someone who has underlying conditions. Yeah, so yeah, so that became an issue um, early on and continues to be. Um, as with everything else that's health related, um, it has to be taken on a, you know, on a case by case basis individually. Um, if it's the employee's health problem, then, you know, just like with any other kind of health problem and any other kind of, in normal times or in the, or in the before times as they're calling them now, uh, you would take a look at what, what's that individual's health problem, whether they, whether they can be accommodated, whether there can be some kind of a reasonable accommodation for their for their disability, and if so, what that what can that accommodation be? Um, we had in uh, in the beginning of the school year, we had situations where we had employees who um, um, that we had employees who had health related issues, um, and they felt that they couldn't come and work in school in person. Um, but after having a conversation with them uh, and having, having their doctor have a conversation with the school doctor, uh, what was discovered was that there were reasonable accommodations that could be made so that those employees could come to work. And they weren't, um, they weren't very complicated. They were things like um, changing the employees' arrival time at school so that they wouldn't have to be inside the building for a long period of time or changing the room so that they could enter and exit through a side door as opposed to having to be in the main office or limit the amount of exposure to kids in the hallway um, or provide an extra type of mask. So there were always, there were things that could be um, figured out that would make that employee feel comfortable to work. And it, so everybody won. Um, but it, it involves conversation. Uh, and the same thing applies with if it's a request for, a leave to take care of a family member. There has to be some type of documentation to show that this is that this is necessary, and then a conversation to see what can be accommodated, what can, what changes. Sometimes small changes can be made 
where it doesn't impact the children in school, but it helps mm-hmm. the employees. So again, it all, goes so, back to, it all goes back to conversation. Yeah, well, I, I think that's probably for any of the issues that come up during the pandemic, because uh, they're all new and we're all trying to solve them together. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, has come up and I, I question came to me, um, two two questions, but let's do the first one. Now that there's a vaccine, um, can a district mandate staff members take the vaccine? That's been a common question. That's a really great question. <laughs> uh, it's possible. Uh, there's no... Um, there's no set law that says that they're required to be vaccinated um, or that the district can require them to be vaccinated. Uh, there's guidance. There's some guidance from the EOC uh, that uh, if, it's, if uh, an employer were to require vaccination, that the employer would have to give uh, consideration to an employee who says that they have a legitimate medical or, relig- or religious reason for not being vaccinated. Um, and of course, in those situations, you'd have to have the same type of interactive process that you have for a request for an accommodation. Um, but then you'd also have to take a look and see whether an employee who's not vaccinated poses a direct threat to the to the health or safety of individuals um, at the workplace. Um, and you know, there's no there's no set and clear answer on the on the on the vaccination mm-hmm. issue, and I I'm sure that there's going to be more. There's clearly going to be more discussion about that. I would guess um, that if a school district imposed a requirement that uh, teachers, for example, have to be vaccinated before they can come back to work in person, that the NJEA will have some choice words to say about that. Um, one way or the other, yep. or maybe not. Maybe they'll want everyone to be vaccinated um, in order to be able to to make sure that everyone is safe. Um, so that one's that one's yet to be <laughs> that, that's one well, of the yet yeah, to be decided, and and <laughs> and we're gonna have to really take a close look. The vaccine just came look. about, so it's uh, uh, the vaccine yeah. just came about, so it's and it's relatively new. Um, yeah. And uh, now if if a Board, if a staff member, say their spouse, uh, tests positive, and so now they have to quarantine um, at home uh, for 14 days, do they have to uh, – can the district – can they um, – two questions on that. Can the district now have them do the – can they do their still do the remote learning uh, uh, instruction from their home uh, and – do they, or if they have to, if it's in person, their assignments in person, does that has a sick time work? So that depends on the school district. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of teaching remotely while they're quarantining because they've been exposed to somebody who has tested positive, uh, there are some school districts that have allowed for remote instruction for a variety of reasons, for remote teaching. There are some districts that have made the, that made the determination early on that they were not going to provide uh, remote teaching as as an option, um, and so I think it would depend on it depends on the circumstances. Is it only that teacher that is being quarantined? Um, what are the district's particular leave policies? 
Um, there are some dis- there are some collective bargaining agreements that provide for quarantine time, uh, for time mm-hmm. to be paid because of a quarantine. Not too many, but I've, I've seen at least one. Um, so it would depend on that. It would also depend on whether other people, you know, uh, are there other staff that have had to be stay at home on quarantine, you know, because there was an exposure in school, for example, or so it, you'd, you'd have to see, it, it would have to be depending on each particular school district. Either way, it's possible. Uh, some districts would choose to have that teacher teach remotely. Um, that means that they would have to have somebody to be in the classroom with the students that are in class. Um, because if if they're you know if you've got tech kids in the classroom they can't be left alone because the teachers are you know is talking to them through the computer, um, so there there are a lot of different considerations that would have to go into that. What was the second part of your question? Because I just so got it. Ray, Sorry. Did I lose I, I, oh, yeah, okay. you lost me for a second. No, I okay. lost you. I had a I had my cough button on. Um, so. If a district, uh, if if they have to take time off because their assignment's remote, how does the leave time, and you kind of answered that question already, uh, yeah. work? You know, do they have, to, you know, because uh, that, that, that's been an issue. You know, we talked about earlier that there are, um, you know, uh, child care issues for some parent, uh, for some staff members and also some health issues. What happens if someone, a staff member says, I just don't want to come in. Uh, I just have a fear of uh of covid and i'm just very uncomfortable coming in but they don't really have a medical reason and they don't have a child care reason how can a district work through that which so there are people like that that's, too. that's oh yeah no no i've had i've had the experience of that um with some of my clients uh so being afraid um is not one of the reasons that um was a lot was was Within the within the reasons for which you could get leave under the FFCRA, um, it would have to be something that's medically documented that the stress that the person is undergoing that they're incapable of working um, in order to accept that as a as a reason for not coming in to to work um, in district. Um, there would, in order to be able to get sick pay, uh, sick days for for that time off, or to be uh, eligible for some kind of a leave, there would have to be some kind of medical evidence that that it's not just um, saying I'm afraid, but that that the fear is such that maybe there's some you know clinical um, reason for it, um, because otherwise, again, you would have a whole host of a lot of people are afraid. Um, mm-hmm. Even the teachers that are working in school are afraid. Uh, we're afraid to go to the supermarket sometimes. So um, it just it has to be it has to be part of the conversation with with the individuals with the employees, um, medical doctor uh, conversation with the school doctor, and and see where we can take it from there. Um, it's possible that somebody might not might just be then uh, entitled to ask for or just to leave without pay um, as as a, an accommodation of some type because can't come to work. Again, always, always yeah. on a case by case basis. Has there been any other personnel issues that have uh, uh, that you have had to deal with 
uh, that we haven't really discussed it. as of yet. We're you know I'm not getting into negotiation. It's a whole other program in and of itself. But uh, mm-hmm. has there been any other thing that you have seen that has really kind of a uh, surfaced every now and then? Right. So things that surface every now and then are, um, uh, you know, uh, when when staff travel, when they've traveled outside of New Jersey, and then they have to quarantine, um, or they're requ- uh, they're it's recommended that they quarantine. That became a conversation with some unions. Um, uh, in some places, um, the decision was made uh, to pay for the staff to to pay the staff to stay home pay the teacher to stay home because they went out of state. Uh, there was a discussion as to whether the, re- the need to go out of state was, whether it was necessary that they go out of state or whether it was just a, a vacation. Um, for example, back in August, there were, um, there sometimes uh, an employee left for the summer and went to a state, went out of state for the summer um, and when they left, the state that they went to was not on the on the travel restriction list. And for a while there, New Jersey's travel restriction list changed on a daily basis. Today you can go to Connecticut. Tomorrow you can. Today you can go to Indiana. Tomorrow you can't. Um, so if an employee left and didn't know that they were going someplace that was on the forbidden list or on the restricted list, um, you know, do you really want to charge them for having to stay home as opposed to somebody that intentionally went to a state that was on the restricted list, knowing that when they come back, they'd, they, they should be quarantining for two weeks. And then that got complicated by the fact that the federal government's guidance made teachers um, uh, uh, essential workers that didn't have to quarantine. And the intention of that designation was so that police and firemen and hospital workers and ambulance drivers would be able to come to work because they got, they got exposure to people with COVID on a daily basis. So if they had to quarantine every time that they had exposure, they'd never be able to work. But teachers are in a different type of category, but they got sort of lumped up, lumped in together. So that made it all really very interesting and, um, and, a, and a different conversation in every district depending on the, their union's position with respect to paying the teachers while they were out, uh, while they were home quarantining after a trip. Um, a lot of uh, superintendents sent out letters encouraging everyone to please not go away um, so that when the break, the school break was over, for example, that they could come back to work. Um, so mm-hmm. those things, again, they've been handled differently. But it, it's really muddy because you're really interfering with it's really an interference with everybody's personal lives too, with whether they could, right. you know, go to a college graduation or a, um, a wedding or things, you know, life does, life has gone on. Uh, people are still having babies and getting married and, and having graduations and, and things like that uh, all over the country. And we still have to, we still have to live and work. So it's been, it's been an interesting it's been an interesting year, to say the least. <laughs> it's not over yet. Uh, at least it's the, the, not over the pandemic yet. part. Uh, so yeah. the, and we're coming towards the end of it. Any other piece of advice you would give? And I, I know you, when you opened up, you said in 
I, I agree. Communication is probably the, the key, but any anything else that you would say is a, a big key as you move forward and, and proceed with some of the issues that will be popping up? Yeah, I mean, the advice that I give my clients on pretty much everything is that the overarching question before addressing anything, the overarching question is, before making a decision, is this in the best interest of kids? Is this good for kids? is good for students and you have to answer that question first before you answer anything else because school buildings exist and teachers exist and school lawyers exist because students are in school that's our primary goal is to educate them and um, so that has to be the overarching question and then the other piece is that you want your staff to be comfortable and happy um, and and able to do their jobs well because you can't have people teaching to the best of their ability with enthusiasm and rigor and, and joy if, um, if they're worried about whether or not they're going to become ill. Um, and so as much as everybody can help one another to have, make sure that staff, the staff are comfortable and that they feel safe and that they feel listened to because nobody has the answers. We know that, nobody. Um, and we have to find the answers as we move along. But if people, are, if people feel that they are being heard, that their concerns are being heard, um, and that they have some type of input and buy-in into changes, it just makes for a much healthier workplace. It makes for a much more pleasant workplace, um, much, better, much better labor relations. And when folks are not listening, you know, when they're not worried about labor relations, they have a tendency to focus more on teaching. Um, and delivering the best instruction to the students. So that's my advice for every day, basically, okay. and certainly heightened for uh, pandemic times. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this conversation on uh, school issues, focusing on the personnel issues. I'd like to uh, thank the release for joining me on this uh, conversation. Uh, I think we all are learning as we are all learning as we go. I'd like to thank you. Uh, and if you want to listen to this, it will be saved. And everyone have a okay. good afternoon. Thank you, Ray. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.